if, you know, if you have a racehorse, you just assume he has an ulcer. Performance horses, and that's any kind of performance in any discipline, they're saying upwards of 60%. Um, foals, upwards, it can be up to 50%, particularly around weaning time. Welcome to the Major League Eventing Podcast, the show for eventing fans, by eventing fans. And as usual, we love to thank our sponsors, Karen, and one of our great sponsors, Exhibitors Products, Karen. Exhibitors has some great stuff. What are your favorites? Oh, my favorites. So they have a lot. They have the quick shampoo and conditioner, which is one of my favorites and then the quicksilver black and color yeah, shampoos all three, all three of them are fantastic of course they have the quick sheen and the quick braid but i think my favorite it has got to be the quicksilver the quicksilver yeah makes yeah. those uh gray shine and those whites nice and bright yeah it is pretty special stuff very so, special uh we love it so we love exhibitors products don't we can i love them so again Please support the people who support the Major League of Any podcast, keeping this podcast free, Karen. Free, free. to the listener at home. Free. If you're listening, you're listening for free. If you're paying, uh, uh, I don't know where you got that. <laughs> Tell us where you're getting, where so, you're paying. <laughs> thank us by thanking our sponsors, exhibitors. Thank you so much. If you have a brand or product, a show, or if your farm has services that you want to bring to the eventing community, consider advertising with Major League Eventing. The Major League Eventing podcast is growing leaps and bounds to the tune of thousands of downloads per week across North America and around the world. If you want your advertising dollar to count, you're going to advertise with the Major League Eventing podcast and Major League Eventing. We have multiple platforms to bring your message to the eventing audience. So here's what you do. Contact me directly, Rob at MajorLeagueEventing.com. Email me, say, hey, Rob. I'm interested. What do you got? We're going to set up a phone call. We're going to talk about what your needs are and what your budget is. And we will customize a marketing and advertising strategy to meet your needs. So again, email me rob at majorleagueeventing.com and we'll bring your brand to our audience. I'm Karen. And I'm Rob. Karen, very, very awesome Major League Eventing podcast coming up. I know. This is going to be great. This is a little something different than we mm -hmm. normally do, but we think this is going to bring tons of value to our listeners at home. Um, we're, people always have questions about feed, and and we don't know if we're doing it right. Everyone's kind of doing, you know, what, what their friend told them or whatever, mm -hmm. or reading the instructions. We need to kind of get to the bottom of some of this feeding we stuff. We sure do. Fact, fiction, and doing it right. So what we did, we wanted to go get an absolute expert on Karen. So we brought on the senior equine nutrition manager for Mars Horse Care US and Buckeye Nutrition. Welcome to the show, Dr. Nettie Libert. Welcome. Hi, well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Please just call me Nettie. <laughs> Nettie it is. Nettie it is. Nettie it is, Karen. So uh Nettie, that's um that's quite the title. Could you tell us a little yeah. about what that title means and, you know, what, what, and your doctor, like what your doctorate in and what does that title mean? Sure. Uh, well, my doctorate is from Rutgers University um, in animal science, and my focus was on equine exercise physiology and nutrition. So 
my research focused, uh, my master's research actually focused on food extracts and how they may have anti-inflammatory properties. That was actually a project of the Department of Defense to benefit humans. So it turns out cranberries and ginger extract, pretty good for anti-inflammatory. And for my PhD, I looked at the effects of age and exercise training on glucose metabolism and the stress response in exercising horses, in old and young uh, exercising horses. So it was a lot of work. <laughs> it, was, it was really good. So, so, so that's, what, that's my, uh, my academic background uh, with Mars Horse Care. A lot of people don't know that Buckeye Nutrition is owned by Mars, which is the same company that makes M&Ms and Snickers bars and other things you might be familiar with. They have a pet care division and horse care is part of that. And in my role, I do a lot of things. I do training for our sales team. I will do education seminars for our dealers and their customers. Um, I do formulation of new feeds, so I'll help to create those. I'm not the only person that does that, but I'm one of the team that does that. Um, And I'm also internally, we audit ourselves to make sure we're doing everything correctly so that when the external auditors come in and check us, we've uh, we've upped our game. So a lot. (laughs) I've also, uh, you've, you've met, I know, Robin Karen, you've met our marketing manager, Abby Strauder. So They've uh, sort of pulled me into that, which I am not a marketing person, so they, they kind of laugh at me sometimes, but I'm learning. <laughs> but, you know, we'll help with, but we'll help with things like, you know, what we write on the bag and making sure our guaranteed analysis and our feeding directions are correct. So if I think the feeding directions need to be changed, you know, things like that. So that, that's sort of a long answer to a short question. Yeah. So lots of all that. Wow. <laughs> oh, sounds like a pretty doggone busy job. Okay. Can you confirm nor deny there are M&Ms in any Buckeye feed? Right off the gate. <laughs> I can deny there are M&Ms <laughs> in any Buckeye feed, but I will not deny their presence in the office. <laughs> <laughs> they, not in the mill, but they are in the office. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So fun. <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw it out there. So now let's get to the serious stuff, Karen. Yeah. Enough of this foolishness, mm-hmm. Karen. Let's get to the real questions at hand. So, uh, Nettie, we're going to get right after it. And um, okay. hopefully, uh, hopefully, these are smart questions because I feel like a big dummy because I'm so. No dumb dumb. questions. Okay. <laughs> there are no dumb questions. So let's, let's just start with basic fundamental 101. The difference sure. between a pelletized feed and a sweet feed. I'm I'm a big dummy. Could you just could you no. tell me what the difference is in those? What's the difference? So it, it's so when you have a pellet feed, okay, all of your pellets are really consistent. So when we go to make our pellet, they all get mixed together really well. In uh, the best way I can explain it is a giant blender, and we mix it so that all of the ingredients that we put into it get distributed evenly. So that when we, uh, when we push those ingredients through what's called the dye, um, all the pellets come out consistent. So you're not necessarily, so that, you know, this bite might be higher in vitamin A or that might, bite might be higher in protein. It's all very consistent. And we can make those pellets as big or small as we want to, depending on the dye size. So pellets are great because the horses can't sort out what they do or don't like. Um, And if you've ever had a picky eater, I have, 
<laughs> um, you know, they can't, you know, just pick out the stuff that they like and leave behind the stuff that they don't. It's all pretty consistent. And they, you know, horses tend to eat them pretty readily. So, so pellets are, are great for that. Now, sweet feeds, or a lot of times they're referred to as textured feeds or, or sweet feeds. Um, they tend to have multiple forms in them. So depending on the product and who manufactures it, Maybe it does have some pellets in it, but usually you can see the you can see things like you can see oats or you can see some beet pulp shreds. There might be some pellets in there, but they're typically coated with more molasses, and that can be for palatability. It can be just to you know help all the ingredients stick together, things like that. Um, one of the downsides to that is that if say your horse doesn't want to eat those oats, he can sort them out or something like right. that. But most, I don't think I've ever seen many horses sort out oats, but, um, but that's that. So if you have, a, again, another real picky eater and you need to kind of entice them, they really have some value for that. A lot of people are started, are fearing sweet feeds. They definitely have their place. There's no need to fear them. Um, but yeah, usually you can see different components of the feed in a textured or a sweet feed, whereas a pellet, it's all very consistent. It all looks the same. Gotcha. Very cool. Yeah. It's amazing with those big lips and teeth that they can sort through the smallest <laughs> little grain of whatever or that powdered oh, medicine. You've never had a chestnut thoroughbred mayor, have you? <laughs> they can, oh, they they... can sort anything. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's funny. My mayor, may she rest in peace. She could sort, she could sort powder like uh, like a champ oh. oh man that's so funny that's funny that's so funny so is there a concern with us yeah. with a, with a like a, a textured feed of having too much sugar is there is there a, a much higher quality like sugar content typically as well and is that a problem at all it well it really honestly just depends on the horse for most healthy horses no it's not a concern but if you have um you know if you have a show hunter and you want that horse to be kind of quiet and you don't want any excitable behavior, maybe you don't want a lot of extra starch and sugar in the diet because research has shown that that will contribute to reactivity um, as opposed to something like feeding fat in the diet. Um, if you have a horse with Cushing syndrome or equine metabolic syndrome or a horse that has uh, problems with tying up, whether they have a PSSM, which is polysaccharide storage myopathy, those kinds of horses, you definitely want to limit your starches and sugars. And in most cases, a sweet feed wouldn't be appropriate for them. Um, but again, when you have your, when you have your, like, like your race horses or horses that have to go fast and have to have that burst of energy and they're otherwise healthy, there's really nothing wrong with them. It just kind of depends on what your horse needs. Gotcha. And this is a question about the pelletized feed. In I'm, I'm kind of a researcher. I, I love mm -hmm. digging into just nuances of things, and I oh good. I, I tend I like to over, <laughs> I tend to overdo it. I've heard with dog food where like they say, oh, they're the, the foods are kind of like extruded or or whatever, and when they're heated up, they lose nutrient value and so forth. Is that possible with the with pelletized feed, or is that just kind of accounted for in the in the compound? That's actually a really good question because we actually make extruded horse feed as well. And yes, you are correct. A lot of dog foods are made that way. So if you overcook something, sure, there are potential to uh, harm certain nutrients. But when you extrude, do you, do you guys have a pressure cooker? Sure do. Yes. In your kitchen? Yep. That's what extrusion is. 
Real simple. <laughs> so when we extrude a feed, whether it's for a horse or a dog, you pressure cook it. That's how it's made. And so one of the benefits is you cook it at a high temperature for a short amount of time. And it, so I always say this, and every time I hear myself say it, it, it sounds a little bit gross, but it's actually not. Um, you pre-digest the feed. So you will actually help to open up some of the starch molecules, and you will denature some of the proteins a little bit, but it's not inherently a bad thing. So proteins can be all folded up by nature, just by their structure. And when you pressure cook them, you start to unfold them. So why is that a big deal? So when the horse or the dog eats that extruded feed, some of the work is already done for the digestive system. So when those molecules are all opened up, the enzymes can just go in, break them down, do their thing, and they can get absorbed very quickly. So there are actually a lot of benefits to extrusion. How about that? That makes so a lot of sense. As long as you're doing it properly. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense that yeah. if it's like, like you say, it's kind of, that's a very great way for someone simple like me to hear it is, hey, it's kind of pre-digested. It's kind of been started the breakdown process. So it's easy to, for the body to take in those nutrients. Because I guess there is a certain mm-hmm. amount of nutrients that are going to be passed through that the body just doesn't absorb during digestion. So. Sure. That makes sense. Hmm. That's a lot of well, awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, nothing is 100% or very few things are very 100% digestible. But when obviously you, when you eat something, when you eat, take in nutrients, you want to absorb as much as possible. And so uh, that's one way uh, extrusion kind of gives the body a little boost that way. So it's, it's pretty cool that we have that technology in our mill as well. Right. Not, some mills have it, some mills don't, but it's a nice thing to have if you do. <laughs> so you guys have like your 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 textured feed, pelletized and extruded. Like so, you have all three types. Like where the pelletized is is the dye, as opposed to extrusion. Uh, yeah. So well, we have in our mill we can make we can pellet, we can make extruded feeds, and we can make textured feeds. So. A textured feed can mean a couple of different things. So usually, again, it has a couple of different forms. So we may have textured feeds that also have pellets in them. Gotcha. Um, we have one that has pellets, some extruded nuggets, some beet pulp, mm. and it's you know just and you can you can see each individual each of those components and they're all mixed together. So oh, cool. interesting. I love it. Cool. That's great. Great answer. I knew we got the right person. Karen. We got all the answers. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. <laughs> the, okay. So forage versus like feed balance. Is there like a general rule of thumb? Like, I, I, like we're coming into spring, so most people are going to be able to get grass. But is there, you know, could, uh, I don't know, for someone simple like me, is there is there any general rules of thumb for that? or Forage first, always in the diet. And I always make the joke that, you know, and I work for a feed company, but yeah, forage always first, first, first. Now, when you have horses, obviously that are working or sometimes you just have a hard keeper and forage just isn't enough to keep those cats, to keep the weight on that horse. That's when you start adding in grain concentrates. But when it comes to forage, so if you live where I live, nobody's got pasture. It's just crazy expensive and it's most people are keeping horses in small spaces and pasture isn't available. So you're relying on, Hey, other people uh, have plenty of pasture and if it's mowed and kept and well attended, then you probably have really great pasture quality. Still yet, you may have a ton of turnout, but your pasture quality may not be great. It may be full of weeds. But when you think about your horse's diet, 
bare minimum, bare minimum should be 50% of the diet as forage. Now, if you think about how horses evolved, how did they evolve? Eating grass all day long, a little bit here, a little bit there, but constantly. And then we came in and said, hmm, we're going to make all these cool seeds and that's what you're going to eat. So it's a little bit abnormal, but 50% is, is low for most, well, for all horses, but in most situations, I'd like to go higher than that, 70, 75%. And then if a horse needs grain, the rest of it can be made up of that. Um, and even there are, I was talking to a customer today about her horses who are in, in light work, and she can essentially maintain them on good quality hay and a little bit of a ration balancer. And there's plenty of them out there like that. So always start with forage, always, always, always. And then you kind of build in other things from there. So if your horse, the other rule of thumb, actually, I should say that, <laughs> I can throw some numbers at you. And I pro I'm, a, I'm the type of person who I was told there'd be no math involved. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if you, you know, for any horse, if you're not sure, you got to have a weight tape. Get yourself a weight tape and at least get a ballpark idea of what your horse weighs. Um, and then you think, okay, my horse needs to consume about anywhere from one and a half to two and a half percent of his body weight in feed per day. So that's hay, that's pasture, that's grain, that's whatever he gets. So if I have a horse that weighs a thousand pounds, that's anywhere from 15 to 25 pounds per day. Now, if your horse eats 20 pounds of hay per day and is happy as a clam, not too thin, not too fat, you may not need grain, but you may be feeding great quality hay, beautiful pasture, right. and they just can't keep weight on. So then, you know, you would add in some grain. So I hope, again, I, that was sort of a, a roundabout answer. But again, keeping, uh, like most ponies do well on that lower end of 1.5% of their body weight. I don't know many ponies that actually need grain. They're just hmm. very easy keepers, gotcha. typically. And that percentage is not is a by... true 100%. I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, the percentage is by weight, correct? Like the weight of feed, like the, the poundage of hay versus feet. Is that, is that correct? Like when you're 50, 50 or 70? Yeah. 30? So when you, when, so when you have, so if I want my horse to weigh a thousand pounds and I'm thinking if I have no idea what his diet should be, I'm going to always start with, I know ballpark. He should be eating probably somewhere around 20 pounds or if that's about 2% of his body weight per day. And I want at least 15 pounds of that to come from forage. Gotcha. So that would be 75% of his diet as forage. Okay. And if I could sustain him on all 20 pounds of forage, well, then that's great. But again, most horses, especially for your listeners who are active riders and, you know, competing, probably their horses need some kind of additional calories to come from grain. And I will note one other thing. So even if your horse is on a diet that's totally consistent of forage, the nutrient content of hay, of grass varies by the hour, <laughs> by the hour when it comes to grass. And once you cut and harvest hay, um, it'll begin to lose things like vitamin E. So if you've stored hay for four to six weeks, there's virtually no vitamin E left in it. So if you're relying on that, you probably have supplements. So Whenever we hear that, that's why we always recommend a ration balancer. So it's like a ration balancer is like taking your daily vitamin. 
So you wouldn't sustain yourself by chewing vitamins all day long. You would take, you know, maybe half in the morning, half at night, something right. like that. That's what a ration balancer is. So it's going to balance out whatever may or may not be in your hay or your forage. So a little side note there. Gotcha. I love <laughs> oh, good it. stuff. Awesome. Yeah, good stuff. Now, is there a um, best time of the day to actually feed? And, you know, how many times a day should should someone be feeding their horse? Uh, well, again... In typical science answer, it depends. <laughs> so <laughs> I think as you're a horse people, you understand routine is important. Um, and, P and researchers have looked at this. So if you, if you are feeding your horse, say, twice a day, it's pretty important to try to keep it consistent. So every day at 7 a.m., 7 p.m., for example. Obviously, you know, Life happens and sometimes you vary. But as routine as you can be is the best thing. Now, if you are feeding a grain concentrate, I'm going to throw another number at you. <laughs> no matter what you're feeding, we don't want to feed a horse more than 0.5% of his body weight at one time when it comes to a grain concentrate. So, you know, they can have the forage, they have their hay, they can have three, four plates of hay in front of them. That's totally fine. But we're talking about a grain concentrate. You want to watch how much you feed at once. So say you have a horse. I'll use my own horse, for example. When I had him in graduate school, uh, he was thin and dropping weight. And I didn't understand why. And long story short, it was a management issue. But I needed to feed him about eight pounds a day of a high fat, high calorie feed to get that weight back on him. And I've never fed a horse that much before. He's an appendix gelding. So he weighs, he should weigh, he does weigh now, uh, about 11 to 1200 pounds. And he had probably dropped down to about 900. So I was understandably freaking out. Right. So for a horse that size, I would never want to feed him all eight pounds at once. Minimum for that would be twice a day. So I would never want to feed him more than about five or five and a half pounds per one per at one feeding of grain based on his body weight. So ideally, if that could have been broken up into three feedings, that would be awesome. But he was aborted, so I didn't have that option. But four pounds twice a day is totally acceptable. Um, the more you can break up meal feeding, the better. Just going back to what I said earlier about horses evolving, eating very small meals all day long. Same, small meal here, small meal there, it's fine. Even another tip, if you have a picky eater and one that doesn't always like to finish his grain, um, sometimes big meals aren't appetizing. So sometimes you'll have better luck by feeding a lot of little small meals. So it's, it's a practical management issue, I suppose. Yeah. So again, a couple different options for that, for that question there. I right. hope, I hope I covered my bases. No, I think that's great. Yeah, I, think I think that's so. a great. We had, uh, our son had one of those heavy grain eaters. Yes. He had, that's all he can eat. That's all in his lifetime. He had two colic surgeries. So he had a, I want to call it a, a semicolon. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, we need we need the drum. That's my little joke. You know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, heavy big grain bill, big yeah. grain bill in that guy. Yeah. And, and um, hay cubes. Hay cubes, you know, soaked hay and all that that's stuff. It, but yeah. Yeah. So very very limited on the hay and high grain. So that's good to know because uh, I'm sure many people out there have these type of similar heart. Yeah, I mean, it's for a given 
daily ration. You can't feed too many small. So if you have, you know, six or eight pounds of grain that you need to feed in a day, if you want to feed it in 10 feedings, awesome you can gotcha. only yeah. do two that's sort of the minimum Fair <laughs> right. gotcha no i love it yeah. so. especially for people we have so many people yeah. that have the board and you know have maybe a, the conversation has to be with you know the manager or the mm-hmm. boarding stable hey yeah you know when you yeah. have this type of circumstance and i think and i think most barns are willing to to work with you i mean again you know my horse is, he's always been a bit of a hard keeper and when I did finally move him to my trainer's barn and I was going through, you know, his diet, whatever, she goes, well, can he have lunch? I said, please, he can have lunch. He <laughs> loves his lunch. So, so they were very accommodating as to, do, you know, doing a third meal or, you know, and some people, you know, if you do a night check, they can have a third meal at night check or something, however it works. Yep. Sounds good. Mm. So now when you're out there choosing a feed, um, are there items to look for or stay away from when you're reading the label? Um, (laughs) now let's see do i put on my buckeye hat or do i put on my nutritionist hat (laughs) Um, so any reputable feed company is not going to put harmful ingredients in a bag of feed now people have a lot of misconceptions about what some of those ingredients actually are uh that's a different story I said, uh, but it sort of depends. So again, if you have that easy keeper, maybe you just want to look for a ration balancer. And they're, again, they're typically high protein and they're typically very concentrated. So vitamin and mineral um, concentrations in that product will be high compared to, you know, something that's meant to be fed at four, five, six pounds per day. If you have a hard keeper, you want to look for something that has high fat. And by high fat, I mean, 10%, 12%, 14% 10%, 12%, 14% fat. There aren't a lot out there with 14% out there, but there are a few. So the higher the fat content, the higher the calories in the feed. Um, most, you're not going to see calories printed on a feed tag. If you want to know what they are, call the feed company and they should tell you what's in there. Okay. But again, most horse owners don't think in those terms. Um, if So again, if you have a horse uh, at maintenance, kind of just a little bit of little bit of work and you want to feed some some feed that's not going to make them too fat you know you can look for something with a moderate fat level maybe three percent or six percent something like that generally when you see a fat concentration of about three percent it's usually a lower calorie typically like a maintenance type of feed um but if you have a performance horse and they're losing weight and you're feeding them something like that well that's probably not the right product for them too. So again, it sort of depends on what you're looking for. But fat content is one thing. If you protein content, well, I think we're going to get into that discussion a little later. Um, Most horses need a total of about 10% in their entire diet. So that includes forage. Um, But if your horse is having a little trouble with top line, something with maybe a little higher quality protein in it could be beneficial too. So ingredient wise, Sorry, go ahead. No, well, uh, the, 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 w- let's talk about the protein. Like, what's are 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 there misconceptions about protein in the diet? Because you definitely hear a lot about the fat oh, yes. and, and the carbohydrates. What? Uh, yes, yes, yes. There are. <laughs> and, I mean, I I've, I've even I'm so glad you asked. Um, there are even misconceptions among many veterinarians about protein. Um, and in their defense, vets are orthopedists. They're cardiologists. They're therapists. 
they're physical therapists, so they have a lot. And they're not necessarily taught nutrition in veterinary school. It's not because they um, aren't interested. It's because think of what they're doing in a day, <laughs> right? So I have heard this. My vet told me this about protein, and it's been completely wrong. So a lot of people... <laughs> still think that protein causes the horse to be hyper or hot, um, that it causes developmental orthopedic disease, that it causes kidney disease. It does none of those things. Um, that has been research proven repeatedly, um, you know, multiple papers published by multiple nutrition researchers. So it does not do any of that. So people might see a ration balancer and they say, well, it's 32% protein. I can't feed that. It's going to make my horse crazy and cause his kidneys to explode. No, it will not. Absolutely not, especially when you feed it as directed. So uh, protein is not going to cause kidney disease. It's not going to hurt liver. It's not going to cause uh, developmental problems. And then, again, it isn't going to make your horse crazy. Um, that said, if you have a horse that has kidney disease, you would limit the protein in his diet, but protein isn't going to cause that. Hmm. So that's a step off my soapbox. There. No, <laughs> the soapbox is good because yeah. we need, the, we <laughs> need good the, stuff. This is this is exactly the type of information that we need. Can mm -hmm. some clarity Absolutely. on some of these yeah. things? Yep. And as as yeah. information evolves, we need to get that word out. You know, so mm -hmm. yeah, and I mean it used get the blame for it. People used to blame protein for that. I mean, we're talking the early 1980s when protein was blamed for all of that. And subsequently, just even a few years later, by the late 80s, early 90s, that was debunked already. But for some reason, it still sticks around in people's heads or they hear it from so-and-so or my, you know, they, someone told me this is bad. It's not. Protein is not evil. It's very important for everything. More than just muscles. <laughs> <laughs> More than just muscles. Uh, yeah. I love it. Now, supplements. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Are they necessary? And if so, how do you know when to start adding them to their diet? So this is a great question. <laughs> um, if, so from a vitamin, mineral, protein perspective, if you are feeding your horse a balanced diet, you probably do not need additional vitamin mineral supplements, right? Same with us. If we're eating the way we should be, we probably don't need a lot of extra stuff. Now, if you are looking at things like joint supplements, that's a whole different category. Um, so, you know, but I, I tell customers that ask me about that. I said, well, you know, it's, re it's really up, up to you. I said, you know, what, which one you want to feed. But when it comes to supplements, there is no federal oversight over the quality or the labeling. So I could be a supplement company and say, hey, I have magic pixie dust and it's only, you know, $99.95 per bottle and it's going to fix every problem in the world. And as long as you're marketing is supplement, and I'm probably overstating that a little, um, you know, it's, it's okay. So there are certain things to look for if you're buying a supplement. There's a little yellow oval uh, called NASC for National Animal Supplement Council. And that's sort of a self-policing agency. So basically what they're doing is making sure that what the label says as far as ingredients is actually in the product. Now, as far as label claims, that's a bit of a different story. But um, so where, where I live, as I mentioned, nobody has any pasture. Most horses are reliant on hay and... You know, even if the hay is great quality, 
sometimes, very often, we may still struggle to meet the vitamin E needs in that horse's diet, even on the highest quality grain that you can buy. Um, you may still struggle for that. So most people that I talk to where I live, I do recommend a vitamin E supplement because they're just not going to get what they need out of their hay. Because again, the hay's been cut, bought, stored. Um, if your horse is on fresh pasture, you probably don't, you may not need that. Um, so again, it depends. And what type of supplement you're looking at uh, again, really depends. There's a lot of things out there that have absolutely no scientific backing. Most or many of them are not harmful. Some could be. So it's a little buyer beware. But I mean, again, that's part of the reason why things like or people like me have a job. And you can call your extension, your university extension agent too, and ask them. They have equine nutritionists there. I know uh, Dr. Amy Burks at the University of Maryland, Dr. Carrie Williams at Rutgers, Dr. Kushona Martinson at the University of Minnesota, just to name a few, Dr. Krista Wickens in Florida. So they're all over. <laughs> you, most people probably didn't realize that either. Yeah, no. um, or you can call a feed company and reputable feed companies hire either on staff or on a consultative basis, nutritionists, and you can talk to them for free. <laughs> so you can always call and ask. Wow. That's, That's good to know. That I never fantastic. knew that. That is really good to know. No, most people don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pick up the phone. <laughs> Watch it. Yeah, phone or lines email are get busy or everybody's now. got a Facebook page. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah true. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Now, okay, so let's go back to, say, your high-performance uh, horse versus your weekend eventer. You know, what's, mm -hmm. the, what's the feeding difference between the two? So, typically... Um, your high-performance horse is working at a higher level, right? So it's like your NFL athlete versus your weekend adult league. So when you're working harder, longer, you're burning more calories. You're expelling more energy versus, you know, maybe you're a weekend warrior. You're probably not working on that level. So yeah, you're still getting out there, you're still moving, you're still working on your muscle tone, but your energy expenditure is probably lower. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But chances are that performance horse is going to need more calories to sustain his work. Now, there is not a drastic difference in vitamin and mineral requirement. There is a little bit of a difference between the hard workers and the maintenance. Um, so that generally is accounted for in the amount that horse is fed, right? The high performers are eating more. And with that comes more concentrated nutrients. Your weekend warriors are probably eating less. So they're probably meeting their needs with sort of the bare, bare minimum there. So again, on the average, that hardworking performance horse is probably just going to consume a higher fat diet um, and more of it versus your weekend warrior who, if he's getting grain at all, maybe just getting a little bit or maybe sort of subsisting on a ration balance and hay, something like that. That's a very general answer. Yeah, I yeah. think it's a good answer. Yeah. I think it's great. Mm -hmm. And again, like you just said, you can always call and talk to people yeah. if you have questions yep. or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. The um, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Nutrition Nuggets um, YouTube series. <laughs> the Buckeye has your well, YouTube thank channel. You. And Nutrition Nuggets is obviously... <laughs> Dr. Nettie Leibert is the 
host. So we're not any, we're talking to a YouTube star as well. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> uh, but one thing in, in, in kind of watching this over time, one thing that really I thought was very interesting. I want to touch on this was about ulcers. You, 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 you have mm. your videos are very short and very concise. And I really like that a lot because it gives a lot of info and then it's over. Uh, the, you did, you talked about ulcers and some studies and the starch with ulcers. Now, so question one is like, what percentage of horses would you say have ulcers? It seems like a lot. And, <laughs> Most of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, for, for how does the starch, can you explain how the low starch diets are helping that? Sure. So depending on which study you read, um, if, you know, if you have a racehorse, you just assume he has an ulcer performance horses, and that's any kind of performance in any discipline, they're saying upwards of 60%. Um, foals, upwards, it can be up to 50%, particularly around weaning time. Wow. And that is coming pretty soon. Um, so horses secrete acid 24 hours a day, seven days a week, going back to how they evolved, right? Always eating, always something coming in. Now, it does taper off a little bit overnight. Um, and they have two parts to their stomach, the upper part, which is the non-glandular part, which is protected by a mucus layer, and the lower part, which is where all the acid comes out. And when you are exercising, or when the horse exercising, the stomach contracts, and theory is part sometimes that acid splashes up and damages um, the mucosal layer and causes ulcers. So a little anatomy lesson there. <laughs> Um, some horses don't ever show a sign of them. I knew a mayor in grad school at the age of, I think she was 20, 25 or 26, never showed a sign of it, never stopped eating, never went off feed, was on a well-controlled parasite program her whole life. And she had some pretty nasty ulcers versus other horses that have very minor ulcers and they may not want to work. They may stop performing. They may be colicky, if you will. Um, so it's a big deal. Uh, my own horse, again, he's a great example gets into things is prone to them. I know he gets them. He's been scoped. I've seen them on camera. So it's something I'm always very conscious of. So research has shown that high starch, high starch and sugar diets will irritate an ulcer. Um, so just to kind of keep it simple there, think about these horses and like what race horses eat. They eat sweet feed and a lot of it. And it is pretty high in starch and sugar. So there's a lot of, but that's all they'll eat because they're sort of picky. So you have to be kind of careful. Um, but high starch and sugar diets will irritate an ulcer. Um, and actually, another thing people don't know about Mars is we have a science center based in the UK called Waltham. Waltham sponsors a ton of research. And the information garnered for that is a lot of what we use to formulate our feeds and to create our messaging to our customers. And they recently did a study looking at starches and sugars in these ulcer horses diet. And what they found, this is pretty cool. So they had these group of horses and they were somewhere, they were all exercising. They had a control group, right, where they didn't change anything. And all the horses were scoped and classified as to the severity of their ulcers. They all got treated with omeprazole for four weeks. They got scoped again. And then half of the horses had a diet change where they went to a low starch and sugar diet and half of the horses stayed on their normal diet. And the horses that stayed on their normal diet, their ulcers came back or, or got worse. 
the horses that went on the low starch and sugar diet, their ulcers did not get worse six weeks out. So it was some insight into the fact of how diet may affect the longevity of the, of the treatment, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so fat, by contrast, doesn't seem to have this irritating effect on ulcers. Um, so when it comes to that, again, we're kind of, now what do I mean by low starch and sugar? In this particular study, pretty much the grain concentrates on the borderline were about 20, I think uh, 22 or 23% in the grain concentrate or lower. Um, the higher starch diets had something like 36%. And again, most feeds, depending on what you're feeding, are, are not usually quite that high. Um, so some feed companies put that on their feed label and some don't. If it's not, you can call them and ask them. They shouldn't be worried about giving you that information. Um, so when somebody tells me they have a horse with ulcers, there's a couple things I'm going to tell them. One, if their horse is on a grain, we want to look for a higher fat grain. We want to reduce the carbohydrates in the diet. doesn't mean they have to be eliminated, just reduce. Another thing, if the horse does not have, you know, other metabolic issues, if you can get your hands on some alfalfa, mix a little bit in. Alfalfa is high in calcium. Calcium is a buffer. Um, if you're like me, who also, I take my own omeprazole, maybe you walk around with Tums. Well, what is Tums? It's calcium carbonate. <laughs> it's a buffer. Mm. So alfalfa can be part of a management program. Also, another thing I like to tell people, don't ride your horse on an empty stomach. Now, that doesn't mean feed him grain, then go ride. It means feed him some hay and then go ride. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a lot. Um, but if they have a little bit of that forage in their belly, it sort of creates a mat on that lower part of the stomach and helps to reduce the splashing of the acid going up. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it, it does. It, it, yeah. yeah it's, it's not a cure at all, but it's a management tool. So, Man. Um, you know, it, it can help. Those are, those are some things that, that can help. But ulcers, again, a, a big, big problem. And I know a lot of competitors are dealing with them. And, and I sympathize because, again... My own horse gets them too. Sure. And you very emotional. For, you feel for the horse. Yeah. You know? Like, geez, they live with that. That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. It is. And if you've ever had heartburn, think about it, right? Oh. Oh. <laughs> Would you want to go That's and terrible. like run 10 miles if your, if your acid reflux was flaring up? No, you probably wouldn't. Yeah. You wouldn't no. appreciate a tight belt either. <laughs> yeah. And we're asking them to you know, be athletes out there. So obviously, and, and that's, the yeah. great thing. that's why we're so happy to have you. Cause we're able to ask these kind of these common things that people at home are, are dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. And hopefully yeah. they're, they're getting this knowledge is power, you know, and um, yeah, that, that this, this is fantastic. So a couple questions I have um, about like, I, I guess we'll call it supplements. This would be my supplement section, Karen. Okay. But there's not sure. a common supplement, like not not a supplement, but as in um, like an additive, like beet pulp. Okay. Beet pulp is something that sure. people add, and there's a lot of questions about soaking it. Again, you even did something again on the nutrition nuggets about beet pulp. But can you talk I to us about adding beet pulp? See, I watch this stuff. <laughs> I, I, well, I'm glad I'm somebody's gonna... watching yeah. it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, well, the, I will preface this by saying there's sort of a joke around the office because my answer to most things is put bee pulp in it. Um, I love it. I think it's a very useful tool in a lot of situations. And it is a byproduct of the sugar beet industry. So 
there, when people hear sugar beet, they think, oh, well, beet pulp must be high in sugar, which could not be further from the truth. The pulp left over is basically, it's fiber. That's it. Any, all the sugar has all been stripped out of it in the process of, you know, handling those sugar beets. And remember, so cows have a rumen, right, right up front. Horses have a cecum at the, in the back end of their digestive system. And in that cecum and in that hindgut is, are millions and millions of, of bacteria. And they love fiber. They love forage. They're actually the ones that do the fiber digesting for the horse. And so bee pulp is one of those fibers that makes those bugs really, really happy. Mm. And what happens if those bugs are not happy? You probably have an emergency colic call to your vet, among other things. So um, it's such a great tool for, I think, helping to, in my anecdotal experience, helping to settle the digestive tract a little bit. If someone tells me their horse has a lot of diarrhea or a lot of this or that, I say, you know, try adding a little, just a little bit of soaked beet pulp for a while and see if that helps. Um, so that's one thing. So the shreds soak very, very quickly. And people sometimes think, oh my gosh, I have to soak it for hours and hours and hours. Otherwise, my, it's going to expand in my horse's stomach and his stomach is going to explode. Again, not true. If you are feed, you have to feed more beet pulp than your horse would physically consume for that to even be a risk. So uh, hopefully, if you're feeding nine pounds of beet pulp, you need to call me right now. Stop <laughs> what you're doing and call because that's a problem. Um, uh, and nine pounds of beet pulp is something like, to give you an idea, it's something like 18 quarts, wow. put it in context. Yeah. So don't, no, you shouldn't be doing that. Um, I always recommend you soak the shreds because they're very small and they're very light. If you've ever taken a, a spoonful of something like wheat germ or whatever and you breathe, it's going to you know, flake off and hit your throat and you'll cough. Well, right. kind of the same with the dry shreds. Can you feed it dry? Actually, yes, you can. Do I recommend it? No, not really. I would rather see that soak. Now, the beet pulp pellets, by chance, those do need to soak for a long time because they will fluff up a lot. And they're also really pretty hard. So the pellets, you always have to soak. The shreds, again, I always recommend that you do, but they're not going to swell up in your horse's throat. They're not going to swell up in the horse's stomach. And, you know, explode unless you're feeding 18 quarts of it, which, again, don't ever do that. <laughs> gotcha. um, but it's such a great fiber source. And, again, if you have that hard keeper, it can be a really good tool for helping with weight gain. Um, because, again, the, the bugs and the hindgut are the one doing the digesting on that. When they ferment and they work on that bee pulp, they'll produce energy for the horse. They'll produce some B vitamins. So, Fiber's good. Beet pulp's good. And it's not a bad ingredient. You mentioned that <laughs> beet pulp. Beet pulp can actually uh, adds to kind of like the chewing that the the hay. It helps keep the horses warmer in in the winter. Yeah, yeah, and that's a great point because besides alcohol, one of the main byproducts of fermentation is heat, and that's how those bacteria work. They ferment that fiber, and that's why in the winter time. If it's really cold, you don't want to feed more grain. You want to feed more hay or fiber or forage. So whether it's, whether it's hay cubes, whether it's chopped forage, whether it's regular hay or beet pulp, yep, that can definitely help. Gotcha. We're learning stuff every We're day. We're learning today. a lot. We're learning a lot here. So, <laughs> again, along the lines of these kind of things that we add to our feed, um, they're going to get progressively probably weirder 
Only a couple there. Uh, so, oh, bring on, oh, yeah. so I, I can tell out. you some weird. Keep yeah. going. Well, this is this one's not very weird. It's very common. People adding oil to their feed. Good, bad, mm -hmm. not so. What, what, what's your thoughts on oil, and, and if there's a good oil or a bad oil? Um, there's really the only bad oil is the free from the Mexican restaurant or free from the Italian restaurant oh. because someone actually called and told me they were getting oil, used restaurant oil. Oh, oh no! Don't do that. No. Oh yeah, I, I could. From I was the nacho like, fryer? say that again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Don't don't do that. Oh. <laughs> do not do that. Oh. Um, it's totally fine to put oil on top of of the feed, but again. If your horse isn't used to it, you have to do it very slowly. Horses, despite the fact that they do not have a gallbladder, they're pretty well, they're pretty good at digesting fat when you give them time to adapt. Because as we all know, any time you add or change something, you have to do it slowly. So you definitely can do that. Um, I don't, there's nothing wrong with corn oil. It is not my first choice. Um, and the it's, corn oil is very high, and again, this is in omega-6 fatty acids. Omega-6 fatty acids are the pro-inflammatory kind. Oh. Now, again, they are not evil. A lot of people think omega-6s are evil. If you don't have omega-6 fatty acids, your cells will fall apart and your brain won't work. So you do need them. <laughs> you do need them. But corn oil has a very, very high amount, and too much is obviously... It's sort of off the charts. Yeah. So I prefer um, it, even a mixed vegetable oil. We'll bring that down a little. Um, flax oil, it's expensive, but it's a good one. Even if you're looking for straight omega-3 fatty acids, which are anti-inflammatory, um, there are uh, some actually, there are some fish oil supplements out there. And the good ones are deodorized so they don't smell like fish because we all know horses aren't going to go near that. So, um, but <laughs> yeah, cats just, will be all if you're over top it. dressing for, yeah, oh, oh, <laughs> dogs, well, they'll eat it. Horses, not so much. Um, but yeah, so if you're just looking to add calories and you want to top dress, a vegetable oil is fine. If you don't like cleaning up the mess, mm -hmm. you can do a fast supplement like uh, ours is Ultimate Finish 25, which you don't have to like sop up an oily feed bucket. So if your horse will eat it and it works or you want to throw it in with your beet pulp, you can definitely do that. And if it's too messy for you and you don't want to deal with the repercussions of your horse leaving it in the bottom of its feed bucket in July, you can do uh, some of the concentrated fat supplements that are available. Gotcha. Awesome. Okay. Karen and I used to go to a farm. We used to visit an Arabian farm. And on top of the oil, oh, they yes. also added apple cider vinegar. To ah. Thoughts on that? <laughs> um, so not going to be harmful in small amounts. A lot of people try to do that to acidify the urine. It's not going to work in a horse. Um, people do that in their own, in their own diets a lot. Um, and again, inherently, is it going to hurt? No, I don't think so, especially if you're only putting a few ounces in your horse's diet, but it's probably not doing what you think it is. Um, so it doesn't quite work the same way in, in horses that it does in people. Gotcha. Yeah, their, their theory have to was... You see them gallons of it. Their yeah. theory was it would, it keeps flies from... Uh, landing on them because I guess it gets in the coat and the skin, and and two, it it I guess it made the pH in the in the uh, manure to where fly eggs wouldn't survive. So that was their theory. It, 
Yeah, I mean, it is an interesting theory, but it doesn't work that way gotcha. in See? horses. I mean, again, especially if they're only giving a couple of ounces. Um, I know some, some people like to take it for their stomach issues, yeah. and some people will feed it to their horses with ulcers for that reason. Again, is it going to hurt? No, I don't think so. Is it going to help? Eh, probably not. But when it comes to things like that, as long as they're relatively safe, try it. Gotcha. You see a difference? Great. If not, probably not helping. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good to know. That's again, mm-hmm. one of these things that we've heard that's kind of like, you know, hey, should, is that something we could do or not do or something? It'd be nice. Well, and it makes sense because, well, it works for me. Why wouldn't it work for my horse? Well, we have similar four guts, but they're not exactly the same. So. Yeah. Gotcha. And now this is my favorite treat, uh, beer. People giving their horse a a Ah. Guinness once a day or something like that. What's your thoughts on the Guinness? (laughs) Does it do anything? My friend, when I was, when I was a kid, my friend's older brother used to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Or is it just a party trick? Hey, watch him drink a beer. (laughs) Well, so remember I talked about uh, microbes and fermentation earlier. So horses have a whole, their cecum is their whole fermentation vat. Um, So it's, you're, it's pretty hard to get a horse drunk. And I do not say that as a challenge. Please don't try. <laughs> Please don't try. But they like the hoppiness of it. They typically like the hoppy taste. And, uh, you know, most horses, or I've, I've heard people say, oh, my horse likes beer. Well, okay. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't re- I don't recommend that you make that a part of his regular diet. But. Gotcha. And not, not really any benefit that you know of. Basically, no, okay. no, 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 you're mu- it's, you're much better off feeding sticking to the, sticking quality, to the quality hay or, yeah. or beet pulp. Uh, well, there we go. Save, you drink the beer, yes. feed the horse the beet pulp. I like, there you go. I like, I like that idea. <laughs> so that's enough of the unconventional supplements that I kind of, but these are things that I just have to know. And when you have a chance to, I mean, I don't, I just, I'm not afraid to ask kind of these I guess maybe silly questions in a way, but I no, not silly. The um, they're very common questions, actually. Okay, cool. See, I feel so much smarter. There you go. (laughs) Uh, Another another thing, um, we've heard about different mills and kind of more of like your local kind of mills that maybe Mm -hmm. do uh, you know cow feed and horse Mm -hmm. feed together. Is that a mill that you should stay away from or, or is there like, what are your thoughts on that? And what is it about cow feed that's bad for the horse that if they got mixed somehow? Ah, okay. So in a number of livestock diets, and when I say livestock, I'm referring to all but horses, right? So cows, um, sometimes chickens, other, well, it's poultry, not livestock, but um, they do, they add what's called a medication into the feed. They're generally called uh, ionophores, technically. Um, you may have heard of them under the name Remensin or Monensin. So in cattle, who remember, their fermentation vat is right at the front of their digestive system. That's why they chew their cud, right? Um, and when you add that product to, a, say, a cow's diet, it's it, helps improve their digestibility, right? Or the digestibility of what they eat, their feed to gain ratio and, and things like that. Um, picture in your mind a paper clip, two paper clips, actually. That weighs approximately two grams. Two grams of that same ionophore will kill your horse. Wow. 
Yes. And if your horse manages to survive ingestion of that product, um, very often they have heart damage or some kind of other uh, neural, some kind of other deficit, and many of them cannot physically return to the previous level of use. So, um, ionophores are extremely dangerous to horses. Cows can handle them just fine, but not horses. So, most feed mills. Um, not most feed mills. I'm going to walk that statement back. Um, our feed mill, because we are owned by Mars, we sort of have, Mars says, you know what, you're going to make horse feed. That's what you do best. That's what you're going to focus on. So in our mill, we do not allow that product to come into the mill to go on the trucks that deliver the ingredients or the trucks that deliver the feed to the distributors or to our dealers. It is just simply not allowed. There is not one ingredient in our mill that is not safe for a horse to eat. Um, we're fortunate that we can do that. There are a handful of mills like that across the country, but not all of them are. Some of them run not only horse feed, they may be running some of this livestock feed, some of which may be medicated, some of which may not be medicated. It, it just depends. Um, there are protocols in place. So, Ideally, I worked for one feed company that did manufacture medication, medicated feed in the same plant that they made horse feed, but they were run on different lines. Um, but there are other mills that will run horse feed and medicated feed on the same line, but you have to see what they call sequencing. So ideally, you would run the horse feed first, then you would run the other stuff. Um, but there's an inherent risk factor there because no matter how well you flush or clean out those mills, if you know anything about the way a feed mill works, it's nearly impossible to get every nook and cranny. So there's always that little bit of inherent risk. And there have been cases where, you know, that those ionophores have accidentally gotten mixed in with horse feed and, you know, a whole barn full of horses suffered mm. from that. Um, obviously, most feed mills have protocols in place to make sure that doesn't happen. But if it's in the mill, it's always a risk. So at Buckeye, we opted to just take that right out of the equation and we just don't even allow it in our mill. Gotcha. Wow. So again, if it's a good reputable company that they have good, and even everybody makes mistakes. So you can ask, you can, again, you can call them an app. There's even a publicly available FDA website that says who has a license to use those medications. Mm. Um, so yeah, you can ask, but for us, we just took it out of the equation. Gotcha. And there's nothing like mandated to be on the label to say it was made in a plant free of these things. Is that there? So just reading the label. Uh, no, I mean, on the label, say if I'm buying feed for my for my cow, it will say what if there's if it's medicated or not. It'll say medicated or not medicated. Um, but to my knowledge, and this is a better question for Amber Crocky, who's the, our quality control manager. Um, there. To my knowledge, I don't believe there is something that says made in a facility that also contains blah, blah, blah. Gotcha. Um, you know, like on your food labels, it says made in a facility that also processes trees, nuts, or soy, whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't believe we have that same requirement. Gotcha. Hmm. And how many mills does Buckeye have like in like North America? We have one. Wow. Wow. And you're distributed. <laughs> we have one time. mill in Dalton, Ohio. Wow. That's pretty wild. How long has Buckeye been around? And Buckeye has been around 
since uh, 19, 1905. Um, and it has always been a family-owned mill, believe it or not. Um, and it was purchased by Mars in 2005. So we haven't always been owned by Mars, but we have been since 2005. Gotcha. But we're a regional feed company, so we're not a national brand. We do have national distribution for our, on uh, Big D's and Chewy. Chewy.com has a couple of our products. So if you live out in California or Oklahoma and you want our feed, that's how you're going to get it. <laughs> gotcha. So, but yeah, we're mostly a, reg a regional brand, and you'll, we'll have dealers east of the Mississippi for the most part. Lots in, uh, from Florida right on up through New York. Wow. That's awesome. Sure is. That's really cool. We think so. We learned about we learned about Buckeye from Sarah Gambiner. Mm -hmm. We sure did. Um, if we go back, anyone that wants to listen to uh, Sarah she's Gambiner, great. the Sarah Gambiner episode is was an amazing episode. She's an amazing person. Uh, if anyone wants to like hear some great stories, talk to talk to Sarah. And Sarah told to us about how she wanted to feed Buckeye, and and she was. Um, She's a very big supporter. And she's yes. sponsored by her by Buckeye, but but she was very determined to get it. Very and, determined to get and it before got it. she was <laughs> And you know, we're so appreciative of her too. And actually, I will you know, to add to her story, we had a very high level rider come to us. Uh, we're talking, you know, Olympic level, and she was feeding her horse uh, a competitor supplement and she ended up getting a positive drug test and she wasn't doing anything illicit, but that product had gotten contaminated Ooh. because of the met facility it was made in. So wow. not going to be an issue with us. So I'm leaving all names out to protect the innocent and the guilty. So and then I mean to have someone like Sarah as an advocate for us is wonderful. I've, we've done some testimonials and um, you know, we've seen some befores and afters that are just really awesome. They make us feel good. <laughs> we've had quite a number of riders since yes, that, yes, that, we that have. are Buckeye mm -hmm. sponsor riders. Um, yeah. So Karen, this is fantastic. This is great. Learned a lot. I learned a lot. I think my brain's going to explode. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure there's. I'm sure there's questions. I have that effect on people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure people at home probably are, are having questions, and hopefully, if there's more questions, maybe send them to us, and maybe we can redo this again if there's a, if there's more questions mm -hmm. that people have. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, also you can. So Buckeye, we have a Facebook page. We have an Instagram account and we have obviously our customer service line so you can oh you can shoot questions there we're happy to oh, share great. them right back with you robin karen so super questions and answers are always fun so oh, yes. everybody you know this is not a this is not a paid buckeye promotion uh this is really just no. the, the folks at buckeye were generous enough i have to thank uh Kristen, who runs the buckeye uh instagram karen she, she helped does. us get in touch with She's Abby. Brilliant at it. And so between Kristen and Kristen introduced us to Abby, and Abby introduced us Same. here to Nettie. So uh, this is really, really awesome. And um, so we just thank everyone there from Buckeye, even though, like I said, this isn't a sponsored thing by Buckeye at all. And um, we just uh, are just so appreciative. So mm -hmm. again, you know, oh, besides you. all the social medias, again, the 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 nutrition nuggets on the Buckeye. <laughs> YouTube is really, really informative. I mean, there you're, you do a fantastic job and you guys have all types of great stuff on that YouTube. So please Thank check you. that out and get educated. Anyone else at home? Uh, I think it's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Info. They're on the Facebook page. They're on the YouTube channel and they would not get posted if it weren't for Kristen. So <laughs> shout out to Kristen. <laughs> Super. So, uh, Karen, I think we'll wind us down. Yes. Is, that, is that fantastic? I, 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 this is great. 
Nettie, I took a lot of notes. I took yeah. <laughs> Nettie, thank you so much, and thanks for not laughing at my 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 kind of my dumber questions out there. But uh, oh no no <laughs> no dumb questions. Yeah, great questions. <laughs> so well, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, and you know, happy to hear from any listeners with nutrition questions. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's show. To learn more about Major League Eventing, go to MajorLeagueEventing.com and join our mailing list to get all the Major League Eventing updates. Cheers!